0: Well, a big news item this week for us in Northeast Ohio is that the Cleveland Browns traded for Odell Beckham Jr. All right. The number 13 jersey is uh, selling off the shelves. We just can't wait to see Baker Mayfield drop some bombs to Odell Beckham Jr. Time after time after time after time after time. And those dudes are going to take us to the Super Bowl, right? Right. Yes, we are going to scream and we're going to dance and we're going to do chest bumps and we're going to do high fives. We're, We're going to feel like we're part of a movement. But the reality is those guys will be playing and we'll just be cheering. We're going to be watching and reacting. We're not personally going to be making anything happen on the field. We won't be part of a movement. We'll be watching, hopefully, a movement. And I'm afraid sometimes that mentality has kind of crept over into the life of the church, the mission of God. Because a lot of us are really good cheerleaders for the mission of God. We see a video like we saw today of somebody like Holly, and we go, Wow, Holly is awesome. We stand on the sidelines, and we throw up our pom-poms, and we celebrate While somebody else is hard at work on the front lines of the mission, making a movement happen or trying to make a movement happen. What I'm hoping for today is that we would stop being just cheerleaders and that we we would all start being contributors to the great movement of God, the mission of God right here in Northeast Ohio. And it doesn't start with the masses, It really starts with one. It starts with one person. So, my question to you today is who's your one? Who's your one? Now, that's not some team that wins from Indiana. Like, who's yours one? That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Who is your one person that you're trying to get to Jesus? Open your Bibles today to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read a story about four people who found their one person to get to Jesus. Now, before we dive in, I want us to take just a simple self-assessment. So I've got a few statements on the screen, and I want you to give yourself a grade on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being high, 10 being like, oh, this really pleases God. I'm very much like Jesus here. So here is statement number one. It is, when it comes to bringing people to Christ, I am not calloused or complacent. So give yourself a grade on a scale of 1 to 10. And be honest. Be honest. Give yourself a grade. We're not going to do it out loud so you can really be honest. Here's the second statement. I do whatever it takes. I go to great lengths and make great sacrifices to get my loved ones to Jesus because I know, I know that I know that I know he is the ultimate source of their healing and miracle. This is why I'm getting people to Jesus because nobody else can give them the healing that he can give them. Nobody else can give them a miracle like he can give them. Third statement, I not only have faith to believe that Jesus can forgive and heal my loved ones, I believe that he will. So again, give yourself a grade on a scale of one to 10. Now, add it up. Do the math. Again, we're not going to shout it out loud, but watch your score? And are you satisfied with that score? I'm not satisfied with my score on this. And our goal is today is that as a result of studying this passage together, we're going to grow in our passion to get at least one person to Jesus this year. So today we're going to read through a story in Luke chapter 5, and I'll make a few comments along the way. Then we're going to come back through the story and I'm going to give you four principles, four applications of the passage. Uh, You guys will do a little brainstorming with me along the way. So get ready to shout out the kind of faith that you see in the lives of these four people who brought their friend to Jesus. And then I'm going to ask you to identify who is your one. And finally, at the end, we're going to ask for those of you who need a healing to actually come forward and be prayed for here in this service. So let's read chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So this is fairly early in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, The year of popularity for Jesus is kind of winding down and the year of opposition is winding up. There is a buzz around the life and ministry of Jesus and the religious leaders are pretty sure that they don't like it Because they can't control him and they can't contain him verse 18 and Behold some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus Now Jesus not only has a reputation as a rabbi who teaches the Word of God but he also has a reputation as a compassionate man who provides healing for the masses And so these four friends have a friend who needs healing. He's paralyzed. He's a quadriplegic. And they're going, we got to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 2 tells this story also. And there we learn it's actually four friends who bring their friend to Jesus. Verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. So the crowd is so large, the people are so thick around Jesus that they can't get their friend to Jesus. And so the people, you know, maybe they want their own healing, they won't get out of the way, they can't get out of the way. Uh, Somehow these friends have a problem. We can't get our friend to Jesus. What are we gonna do? Again in verse 19, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Now, you have to know that the roofs of the houses in those days were relatively flat. There might have been a slight pitch so that the rain would come off, but they did other things up on the roof than just keep the rain off of them. They, you know, dried things up there. And so these archaeologists tell us that the houses had steps a lot of times on the outside of the house so you could get up to the roof. The roofs were these beams, and then in between the beams would be uh, straw, sticks, mud, uh leaves all kinds of stuff and so these guys are getting up to the roof and then they're going okay now where do we think jesus is um okay i think he's about right here let's just dig a hole through the roof and you can imagine that debris is falling mud chunks are falling down leaves limbs straw i mean it's it, it's a mess and everybody's probably looking up going we've never seen anything like this at church before what is happening here And so they got him down right in front of Jesus. Look at verse 20. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, don't miss this. He is moved, Jesus is moved by the faith of the friends. Now, certainly the paralyzed man had to exercise faith too. Because he goes, okay, you guys can take me to Jesus. And okay, you guys can like haul me up these steps and then drop me down. <laughs> I mean, that's exercising some faith right there. But I think the point of this story is, the emphasis is, the faith of the friends. Now, Jesus gives the man the most important gift that he can possibly give anyone. And that's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Why is that the most important thing? Well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means me. That means you. That means you. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And if we die and our sins are unforgiven, we are headed straight to hell. Because God is holy and God is pure. And He cannot let before Him anybody with unforgiven sins because that will mess up His purity and His holiness and His heaven. And so our sins have to be forgiven. And God has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. So if we're going to go to heaven and live in the presence of God forever and ever, our greatest need is that our sins be forgiven. And here, Jesus meets this man's greatest need. You know what? Today, you might count your sins against you. And other people might count your sins against you. But the gospel says that because of what Christ has done on the cross to die in our place for our sins, if we will make him the Lord and Savior of our lives, if we will repent of our sins and turn to him and trust him, he will not count our sins against us. And Man, that is the best news ever. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees are the pastors and the Sunday school teachers and the priests and the nuns and the religious studies professors of their day. And they're saying, he said he could forgive sins? That just blew their minds. Dude, you're just a man. Only God can forgive. Who do you think you are? Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? So Jesus here is performing a Jedi mind trick, okay? (laughs) He knows what they're thinking. And he just goes ahead and tells everybody what they're thinking. And then he asks a question. Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you or to say, Rise and walk. Now think about it. Which is easier? I mean, it's tempting for us to go, well, you can't tell if a person's sins are forgiven or not. So that seems pretty easy to do. But to say, get up and walk, everybody can tell if the guy got up and walked or not. So I think maybe get up and walk is harder to do. But think about what Jesus had to do to forgive sin. He had to leave heaven and all of the worship and adoration of all of the angels to come to this planet and be born in a stinking stable. He had to become human. He could feel pain. He could get hungry. He could get tired and sleepy. He never felt that before. And then he had to get a stinking job as a carpenter. Sweaty, messy work. And then when he started his ministry, he would be... Misunderstood, rejected, accused, slandered, and ultimately abused. Finally, whipped on his back with a scourge so that the skin came off his flesh. And after that, carried his cross to a hill called Calvary where he was nailed onto that cross and his blood shed so that we could be forgiven. He died so that we wouldn't have to. He paid the penalty of sin so that we wouldn't have to. So which is easier? To heal? I mean, he could just say the words, be healed, because he's God. But to forgive required his ultimate sacrifice. Now, of course, when you get right down to it, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's impossible for God, and Jesus is God, so neither forgiving nor healing are too hard for Jesus to do. But Jesus knows that they can't quite understand all of this, and so he gives them a display of his power and authority and might and strength. He wants to show them that he indeed has the right to forgive. Verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Now, does the man just, like, jump up like nothing had ever paralyzed him? Or does Jesus reach over and pull him up onto wobbly legs until the guy reaches equilibrium? We don't know. But here's what we do know, verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Now, this word immediately here It indicates that there is not much need for occupational therapy here (laughs) The man just goes home on his own power and he's praising God verse 26 and Amazement sees them all and they glorify God and they were filled with awe, saying We have seen extraordinary things today (laughs) Um, That's a pretty powerful worship service, wouldn't you say? Everyone's amazed. Everybody's glorifying God. Everybody's experiencing awe. And everybody says, we've never been to a worship service like this before. That's what happens when Jesus is in the house. And that's why we ought to pray that Jesus Christ will show up here through the power of his Holy Spirit weekend weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend. All right, that's the story. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your family members and friends, people who may be far from God. Almost everybody you know is paralyzed in some kind of way. It might be relationally. It might be emotionally. It might be vocationally. It might be psychologically. It could be physically. Everybody you know is paralyzed in some way. And maybe you're here today and you're paralyzed in some way too. What is it going to take for us to get our family members and our friends to Jesus Christ so that they can experience a miracle? The miracle of forgiveness and then just perhaps the miracle of physical healing. What's it going to take? I got four ideas for you today. First, it's going to take love. Love your friend. Love your friend. With this latest shooting in a mosque, in New Zealand, we've now seen in recent years mass murders and shootings and businesses and bars and schools and theaters and universities and concerts and mosques and synagogues and churches. I mean, the evil is real, and the evil is tragic. And the state of the world ought to mobilize us and motivate us to be people of radical, sacrificial, Love, that's who we need to be. And as the song says, Jesus loves the red and the yellow and the black and the white and so should we. And he loves Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus. And he loves liberals and conservatives. And he loves atheists and secularists. And he loves folks like us. And we should too. We need to be people of love. And if we really love people, we will be people who are working hard to get people to Jesus because he alone can meet their greatest need, and that's what these four friends did. Go back to verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. That is what love does. We want to lay our friends and our family members before Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. You want to know how much you love somebody? It's how passionate you are to get them to Jesus Christ, because you can't help them, not like he can No doctor, no lawyer, no educator can help them, not like he can. Do we love people enough to have an uncomfortable conversation with them about why they need Christ? See, the apostle Paul says in the book of Corinthians, he goes, for the love of Christ compels us, controls us. It's the love of Christ that makes us his ambassadors. It's the love that Christ has put in our hearts for him and for others, that makes us go and find the one that we're going to get to Jesus. Paul, or Penn Gillette of the magician duo Pen and Teller, is an atheist. But even he recognizes that if the Christian message is true, it is a violation of love if we do not get our friends and family members to Jesus Let me me read to you a quote. You can find this on YouTube. Here's what he says. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's an atheist rebuking me and you. Rebuking the church. He's saying it is hatred to have the good news of salvation and you sit day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, next to a dude at work and you never tell that guy that Christ alone can save. You don't like that guy. Penn Penn says, you hate that guy. Who is a friend who is in danger of dying with her sins unforgiven? Who is a family member who is in danger of dying with his sins unforgiven? Get their face before you, their name in your heart. It all starts with love. Love your friend. And then see Christ's authority. And that's the point of the story here, I think, is, is his authority. Jesus is in charge. He's not weak. He is sovereign Lord of all. Look at verse 14. 24 he says but that you may know that the son of man has authority What kind of authority well he has authority of course to forgive Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 in Je- in jesus we have redemption through his blood The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us Lots of us have come from a religious background where rules, rituals, regulations, all that stuff, that's religion. And religion says this, I messed up. I better keep it from Christ. But the gospel, biblical Christianity says this, I messed up. I better get to Christ as fast as I can. Why would we want to get to Christ when we mess up? Because he's a forgiver. He alone forgives. He loves to forgive. That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. People who have a real relationship with Jesus know that he came to this planet to forgive people like you and me. In fact, he says later in Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man, that's the way he referred to himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost, to seek and to save those who are sinners, to seek and to save those who have messed up, to seek and to save those who are paralyzed in some way. That's who Jesus is, and that's what Jesus does. You know what he does? He throws our sins into the depths of the sea. The Bible says, "He he, he takes our sins as far as east is from the west." That's what Jesus does. He throws our sins behind his back. He doesn't remember our sins anymore. He doesn't count our trespasses against us. And if we will confess our sins, he forgives us of all unrighteousness. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. He is a forgiver. He has the authority to forgive. But there's more. He has the authority to heal. To heal. Now, while it's true that the main mission of Jesus was to forgive sins and fit us to heaven, for heaven to live with him there, we dare not minimize the work of Jesus to heal. And as we've been working our way through the book of Luke, you can't ignore the fact that there's been a whole lot of healing going on. And if you've got family members or friends who are sick with some kind of an illness, you want them to experience the healing of Jesus too. Now, let me point out, Even though Jesus healed a lot of people in his day, he didn't heal everybody. Why not? It's because he was focused on forgiveness. In fact, in some towns... Uh, People would gather for him to heal. He would go out to pray and he would say, hey, I got to I can't heal everybody here because I got to go to the next town because I have to preach the gospel there Because the main message is the message of forgiveness because everybody that gets forgiveness will someday go to heaven and they will get their full physical healing there forever So these healings simply prove that he's got the power to forgive now that now he does heal though and This is especially comforting that that ultimate healing will come someday in heaven for those of us who have been praying for physical, emotional, and psychological healing for our friends and loved ones, and it just hasn't happened. That's the reality. Last year, we lost some great men and women of God. People like Jim Sutton and John Polking. Countless prayers were prayed for their physical healing, and it just didn't happen, at least not in this life. And does that mean that Jesus doesn't care? No. The Bible says that for those who have died, who didn't get the healing here, that when they are with him, they are living a life better than ever in his presence forever and ever and ever. So he doesn't heal everybody when we want and how we want. Does that mean that we stop praying for healing? Absolutely not. I want you to listen to James, who's the the earthly brother of Jesus, he says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so at the end of the service today, we're going to ask anybody who wants prayer for healing, physical, emotional, mental, psychological, psychological, to come up front for prayer. and We'll have pastors and staff members and elders up here to pray for you. I've got some anointing oil from Israel here. Is there anything magic about this oil? Absolutely not. It's just oil, but it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. So when he says anoint with oil, he's talking about get in touch with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the one who still heals. So we can't demand a healing, but we sure can desire one. See Christ's authority to forgive and to heal. We've got to get the people that we love to Jesus. Why should we do that? It is because Jesus has authority. He is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Christ. He is the Deliverer. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is great He is good because he is God. Jesus is the Holy One of Israel. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the great I am. He is just and he is justifier. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he is mighty to save. Jesus is the master. He is the master. His name is above every name. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is our Prince of Peace who quiets us with His love. Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the Savior. He is the Shepherd. He is the truth. He is unequaled. He is the vine. He is the Word made flesh who dwells among us and He is exalted and all the promises of God are yes in Him And Jesus is zealous for you and for your good. That's who Jesus is. He has all authority. And maybe one reason that we don't get our family members and friends to Jesus like we could, like we should, is because we have just forgotten how awesome and amazing and authoritative Jesus really is. See Christ's authority and then act in faith. Act in faith. Sometimes in the Bible, Jesus performs miracles when there's just like no obvious faith, evident faith anywhere. Sometimes he performs a miracle when it's faith displayed on the part of the person that needs the miracle. I think in this story, the emphasis is that he performs the miracle because of the faith of the four friends that brought their friend to Jesus. Notice what it says in chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 20. And when he saw their faith... So what step of faith is Jesus asking you to take in order to get your friend to Jesus? It's important that you demonstrate faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You've got to exercise faith. And when you do that, it actually pleases God. So I want you to brainstorm with me the kind of faith that these friends have, okay? And so the team up there is going to type in what you shout out. So you guys shout out some characteristics of the faith of these four friends. Undoubting faith. All right, let's go a little slow. Give them some time up there. Undeterred faith. That's really a hard word to spell, but let's see if they can do it. What else? Loving faith. All right, wait a minute. I heard bold faith, and I heard loyal faith. What else? Persistent faith. It's like, dude, we can't get through the crowd. We're making a hole in the roof. (laughs) Whatever it takes. What else? Selfless faith. And I heard somebody over here. Strong faith. Passionate. <laughs> was that a sneeze or was that a word? <laughs> Passionate faith. Courageous. Courageous faith. All right, give me two more. Two un-dying more, just two gratitude. more. Undying gratitude. That's, that's more than one word, undying gratitude. How about grateful faith? All right, over here. Tenacious. Ambitious? Tenacious. Tenacious faith. I love that word. Okay, all right. Look at the words on the screen and then ask yourself, what's a strength that you have? Which one of those is a strength for you? Okay? And how could you leverage that strength to help you reach somebody for Christ in 2019? And you might want to right now just say real quick prayer, Jesus, thank you for giving me bold faith. Or thank you for giving me passionate faith. Okay? Now, you know the next question, right? (laughs) Where are you weak? Where do you need to grow? Which one of those words is not a strength for you? And how are you going to grow in that area of life? And you can start right now. You could just say it. You don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes or fold your hands. You can just say, Lord, Help my faith to be more undeterred. Lord, give me a tenacious faith. Give me a persistent faith that I'll do whatever it takes to get my friend to Jesus. Just say that prayer to him. Just quit, right now, on the spot. If we're going to get our friends to Jesus, we've got to act in faith. Fourth big idea. Got to spotlight God. The goal of these miracles in the story, the miracle of forgiveness and the miracle of healing is not so that the four friends could become famous, even though we're talking about them 2,000 years later. (laughs) That's pretty famous. And the goal of the story is not so that the guy getting healed would be happy, although I'm sure he was happy. The goal was that God would get glorified. Look at verse 25. Immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe. You know, when you come into this building, uh, you see like a stone over the door. And that literally is the cornerstone of this building. Now... Most of the time, a cornerstone goes in the corner of a building behind a bush. But we didn't want our cornerstone to go behind a bush because it says something very important. So we stuck it over the door. <laughs> and it says, to God alone be the glory. Because that's at the heart of all that we do. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, from him, to him, through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. You know, Pastor David Platt says this. I saw it this week. The message of biblical Christianity is not God loves me, period, as if we were the object of our own faith. The message of biblical Christianity is God loves me so that I might make him, his ways, his salvation, his glory, and his greatness, known among the nations. God is the object of our faith. And Christianity centers around him. We are not the end of the gospel. God is. God is. So whenever there's forgiveness and whenever there's healing, whether it's healing in this life or the life to come, the ultimate aim is that God gets glory. So, spotlight God. Now, these four friends had their one. Who's your one? Who's your one? I want to thank Cuyahoga Valley Church. Uh, This church makes uh, 104, 106 available for me to be able to do what I do with the North American Mission Board to, to train the guys who are training the next generation of church planters. And so this past week, we had guys here from Wisconsin and North Carolina and Dayton, and uh, Columbus, and um, guys from just just around the country to be trained. Eight guys to be trained to train the next generation of church planters. And when visiting pastors come to this church, they often go, hey, how many seats does your auditorium hold? And how many services do you have? And what they're really trying to do is the math to try to figure out, you know, how big is this church anyway? Um, I've been around pastors long enough to know that pastors like to talk about numbers, numbers. And pastors say things like, uh, well, we count people because people count. <laughs> and if numbers weren't important, why is there a book in the Bible named Numbers? We seem to be fixated on the numbers. And the bigger the better, Right? But a number that seems to impress Jesus is the number one. He tells a story later right here in the book of Luke in chapter 15 about a shepherd that had 100 sheep. 99 were accounted for. One was missing. And that shepherd went out and found the one and brought it back. And then Jesus makes the application in verse 7. He goes, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. So in 2019, who's your one? Who do you know who's paralyzed in some way? Spiritually, emotionally, relationally, psychologically? and you're going to make it your aim to do whatever it takes to get that one to Jesus. I've got my one. Who's yours? Can you see their face right now? Do you have a name? I'm saying, if you can't see a face or you don't have a name, you need to say, Oh, Lord, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in step with the Spirit right now. I want you to literally, Have a name and a face. Literally. Who is it? Here's a prayer that you might be able to pray. One of my ones is a guy named Marvin. So I'll just plug his name into the prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. You know that just like the man in Luke 5, Marvin needs forgiveness and a miracle. Put your love into my heart for Marvin. Help me to see Jesus as the great authoritative Savior and healer that he is. Give me a tenacious, sacrificial, risk-taking, creative faith to get Marvin to Jesus. Please, I beg you, be compassionate and give Marvin healing and forgiveness in 2019, and we will be sure to give you the glory. Amen. Could you pray a prayer like that for somebody? You know, we're going to post that prayer on Facebook, and we'll put that prayer up on our blog. Better yet, compose your own prayer. But begin to pray. That's one step of faith. Prayerful faith is probably the first thing we need to do to get our friends to Jesus. Would you do that?